Pulitzer and Hearst, they think we're nothing. Are we nothing? No! Pulitzer and Hearst, they think they got us. Do they got us? No! Even though we ain't got hats or badges, we're a union just by saying so. That's from the original cast recording of the 2012 Broadway hit Newsy. But it turns out that newsboys have been the subject of popular music for more than a century. Please buy my last paper, I Want to Go Home, portrayal of newsboys and newsgirls in 19th and 20th century music, is a talk given last fall by Joshua Dushan from Wayne State University's music department and Eric Friedman from the Michigan State University School of Journalism. The talk was part of MSU's Our Daily Work, Our Daily Lives brown bag series, organized by John Beck. We've got a link in the show notes to their great archive of talks where you can hear Josh and Eric's entire presentation. Today's show features highlights from that talk and adds in a number of the songs they reference. And on labor history in two. Renowned Illinois poet Carl Sandburg wrote about workers in Gary, Indiana and farmers around Omaha, Nebraska. He wrote about railroad workers and steel workers. I'm Chris Garlock, and this is Labor History Today. So they gave their word Well, it ain't worth beans Now they're gonna see what stock of presses really means And the old will Here's Eric Friedman from the Michigan State University School of Journalism. So if a newspaper publishes newsboys and to a much lesser extent newsgirls who are essential players in this capitalist structure, this capitalist system, tight, highly competitive market and cheap labor made it profitable for people with last names like Hearst and McCormick and Pulitzer to, to reap their profits and also created this American cultural trope, the poor Horatio Alger, ragged kid, ragged dick, whatever his name is in the the books, who then, through really no great skill but luck in rescuing the poor daughter of the rich magnate, was able to move to the middle class or even even higher up. and so these newsboys in the uh, 18 and early 1900s became targets of pity and social welfare activism, smiling stereotype on postcards, exemplar of hard work and diligence, and an incarnation of urban poverty. So we undertook this project to look at the portrayal in, Amer- in important part of American culture, the music that came into the home 
Josh will talk more about that, and how they portrayed these kids who were all over the country. They were in big cities, or we think of them as New York and Philadelphia and Boston, but they were also in small places like Helena, Montana. And they had no input into the content of the music, you know, the, the lyrics of the music, but they were absorbed into this aspect of American culture. Most of the songs in our study depict newsboys and newsgirls who were also called little merchants. <laughs> and they worked the streets on Chicago's uh, newspaper alley in the, at the Daily News. The newsboys and newsgirls went into separate rooms to get their papers every day. Uh, both genders picked up their paper in the same rooms at the American. Only a few of the songs depict the female newsies. The cover of Please Buy My Last Paper, I Want to Go Home, shows this newsgirl huddled against the snow, desperately proffering her last paper to the unseen passers-by. She is shivering in cold, old, wretched and forlorn, without a whole garment to keep herself warm. At the top of the score, the lyricist has written how the origin of the song, on a dark and stormy night, while passing up Tremont Street, we were accosted by a poor little ragged girl who stood shivering, her torn shawl wrapped around her slender form. Another song with the newsgirl, They All Love Maggie Grady, tells how the newsboys altruistically rally around the newsgirl because she has to get home for, to her mother by the uh, curfew, and so they helped her sell her newspapers at the expense of selling their own. Um, the heyday of the, news day, of the newsie from the Civil War through the rise of home-delivered papers overlapped the heyday of American sheet music. One was marked by the preeminence of newspapers as the way of communicating to the public, and the other was the heyday of bringing music into homes, primarily those of the middle class. And this was the day before we had Spotify and Pandora, or iPads or iPods or radio or television. You're listening to Please Buy My Last Paper, I Want to Go Home, portrayal of newsboys and newsgirls in 19th and 20th century music on the Labor History Today podcast. We'll be back with Joshua Deshaun from Wayne State University's music department in just a moment. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year 1878, celebrated as the birthday of renowned Illinois poet Carl Sandburg, the youngest of three children born to Clara and August Sandburg, Swedish immigrants in Galesburg, Illinois. Carl Sandburg worked as an editorial writer at the Chicago Daily News. He was part of a group of poets and novelists known as the Chicago Literary Renaissance. Sandburg became most well-known for his poetry, for which he won two Pulitzer Prizes. He also won a third Pulitzer Prize for his biography of his hero, Abraham Lincoln. Sandberg's poems often evoked images and explored themes of the industrialized United States. This was especially true of his 1920 volume, Smoke and Steel. In this collection, Sandberg wrote about workers in Gary, Indiana, and farmers around Omaha, Nebraska. He wrote about railroad workers and steel workers. His words instilled unexpected beauty in these industrial scenes. Sandberg wrote in free verse, a style that did not rhyme 
He used accessible language in his poems, making them available to the common man. He would take short tours around the United States, reading his poems and playing folk songs on his guitar. His poems gained a wide popular readership. The opening lines of his poem, Chicago, so captured the workers and the spirit of the city that these words remain indelibly entwined in the city's image to this day. Hog butcher for the world, tool maker, stacker of wheat, player with railroads and the nation's freight handler. Stormy, husky, brawling, city of big shoulders. To commemorate the 100th anniversary of his birth, the United States Postal Service issued a stamp in his honor. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on the Twitters at Labor History in Two. I'm going to turn it over to, to Josh on the music history part for now. All right, thank you, Eric. Hi, everybody. I'm Josh Duchan from Wayne State University. So the earliest uh, American printed music is not what we would call popular song by any means. Rather, it was sacred music. Psalms, published in 1640 in Cambridge, Massachusetts, entitled The Whole Book of Psalms Faithfully Translated into English Meter, known simply as the Bay Psalm Book. Perhaps the earliest music we might qualify as popular would be broadside ballads, primarily of the colonial period. These songs were set to well-known pre-existing melodies, but with new lyrics that offered commentary on current events from colonial settlement and conflict with Native Americans to dissatisfaction with English rule, crime, love, and religion in 68. Broadside ballads relied on a set of tunes that readers would already know, an element of oral tradition that began to fade as the nascent American sheet music industry took root. From there, the story of American sheet music moves to blackface minstrelsy, the musical and theatrical genre that swept the country between the 1840s and the early 20th century, featuring what we would now consider to be racist stereotypes of black Americans and other minorities. While its content may be distasteful, if not offensive, to 21st century audiences, it was the most popular form of American music and theater in the 19th century. One of American history's most famous composers, Stephen Foster, wrote a lot of music for the minstrel stage, including enduring titles such as Old Folks at Home and Decamp Town Races. Inspired by what they heard from the stage, American audiences could put their amateur musical skills to work when they bought and brought copies of the same songs home. Importantly, Foster also wrote in a genre called parlor song, which unlike minstrel song, was originally intended for performance at home in one's parlor, and typically involved a singer and piano accompaniment. An expanding middle class could access music performances that were, in earlier eras, restricted to more wealthy patrons. And they could afford pianos, whose retail prices fell dramatically as production ramped up. By the end of the first decade of the 20th century, 350,000 pianos were produced and one out of every 252 Americans bought one. Simultaneously, the growth of other American musical institutions, such as the New York Philharmonic, founded in 1842, seeded the country with musicians and composers skilled enough to provide the compositions necessary 
for the quickening pace of music production. Thus, in the 19th century, writes James uh, Paracolis, excuse me, uh, the part of society able to afford a piano and learn to play it kept expanding from the most privileged class to the middle class and increasingly to the working class. Industrial scale production of pianos increased the social role of the piano by enlarging the numbers and classes of people with access to the instrument. In fact, succeeding minstrel and popular song is Tin Pan Alley, the name of the American popular music industry between about the 1890s and 1940s and also the name of the music that it produced. Tin Pan Alley songs varied widely in topic and style. In general, however, the business model retained a reliance on sheet music as the primary musical product, which was sold wherever touring performances, such as vaudeville shows, were staged. Some important names that might be familiar to us, including Irving Berlin, George Gershwin, they got their start on Tin Pan Alley. Of course, it isn't just about business and industry, product, and commerce. Sheet music and vernacular songs played a crucial role in the social and cultural life of 19th century America in ways intricately tied to race, gender, and class. As the conduct of business moved out of the home, the domestic space opened up for family and cultural activity. And as the former was, at the time, the province of men, the latter became the province of women. A network of teachers grew to support them as they learned how to play their family's chickering piano. What we might today think of as a hobby was, in the 19th century, a required skill for any young woman of station. The benefits of piano ownership, access to teachers and performances, and the social privileges that come with them was largely limited to white Americans. With this group as the core consumer of sheet music, it makes sense that, unless they were minstrel stereotypes, the characters featured in the songs and on their covers largely looked the same. Within this context, we studied songs about newsboys and newsgirls. The sample size for the music analyses was 38 different songs, and growing by the day. They were published between 1844 and 1938. The composers were highly varied. There didn't emerge a single composer or a group of composers that appeared to specialize in songs about newsboys and newsgirls. The vast majority of popular songs, including those in our study, called for a single singer with piano accompaniment. There were some interesting exceptions, though. Three songs were scored for a chorus of singers or a vocal quartet such as Carl Carlton and Eugene Banks's I've Not Sold a Song Today from 1893, W.C. Baker's Newsboy Song from 1867, and the song from which the title of today's talk is drawn, Please Buy My Last Paper, I Want to Go Home, by E.N. Caitlin and G.L. Stout from 1869. Additionally, three songs included parts for other stringed instruments, for example, Fane, Richmond, and Silver's song, <coughs> Rags, from 1926, included a line of guitar tabulature. On a busy corner where other kiddies play, there's a little hero tell 
Every penny he makes helps a lot to take care of mom. He's all she's got. Extra, extra, hustling all he can, for mommy depends on her little man, just a kid named Joe, makes this world a better place, I know, and he sells the daily papers, so I buy all my papers from a kid named Joe.
Repetitive on purpose, right? It makes it easier to to make sense of as you listen to it, and easier to remember, so that as you are humming the tune, you know which one you're going to buy. Okay. So I interpret the results of all this musical analysis as showing that songs about newsies tended to adopt the same musical features as the broader, more general repertory of American popular song in the 19th and early 20th centuries. The period stretching from minstrel and parlor song through Tin Pan Alley. In other words, they were usually pretty typical in terms of their musical aspects. That's not to say it's an insignificant finding, though. In fact, I'd argue just the opposite. It is possible that the success of these songs and the depth to which the characters of the newsboy and the newsgirl successfully penetrated the American cultural imagination may in fact depend on the ways they hew close to the audience's expectations. There, I'll turn it over to Aaron. Now I'll go to the wordsmith part, the lyrics, and um, these are not the upbeat, happy, 100% major <laughs> expectation in, in terms of well, the covers. Um, we found two major memes or themes. Most prevalent is the depiction of these newsies as abandoned, vulnerable, pitiable, often homeless children who labored for pennies to feed themselves and their families if they had families and to support the capitalist system that gave them these meager opportunities. These songs carried pathos-laden titles like I've not sold a paper today um, or the upbeat, I'd rather be a newsboy in the USA than a ruler in a foreign land. I was born in the USA, and I'm right back here to stay. You can have all other lands with my consent. Here a fellow can advance, if he'll only take a chance. A newsboy can become a president. I've been to Italy, Hollywood in Gapery.
So, looking at, at some of the titles, I have them called the uh, the good, the bad, and the wistful. So, these are some of the titles of the cheerful, all-American kids on usually his way up the, the career ladder. The bad, these piteous, oh, little newsboy's death. And then, that's the kind of thing you're going to have in your living room, in your parlor, on Sunday after the family dinner. And the wistful. I'm just a ragged newsboy, but I loves her all the same. I did not do the copy editing on the uh, grammar here. If I was, not if I were, which it should be, a millionaire, and the newsboy's Christmas dinner where these poor little out-in-the-cold boys are invited in for the big, cheerful Christmas feast. And then the same thing with some of the phrases, the lyrics that we drew in our analysis. Pleading cry, tear be dimmed. Never had any dad, never had a mother, mother's dead, father's dead. Or I like this one, a crash, a moan, the little boy brave lies dying while striving his, that's my typo, to mother to save. Twas only a newsboy, somebody who didn't matter, that perished and died. But then, on the upbeat side, a creditory nation, they're out there merrily selling their wares, smiles on their faces, and the Horatio Alger, a fellow can advance if he'll only take a chance. We'll get to the final tune, but our findings mirror an observation by the Library of Co Congress that the late 19th century sheet music celebrated newspapers partly in the figure of the newsboy, sometimes heroic, sometimes pathetic, but we showed that this binary differentiation is misleading and oversimplified and reinforces stereotypes. One scholar observed that the street child in 19th century New York was a topic of fear and loathing, but none of the music we examined had threats of intimidation or violence from these kids. They understate the physical perils other than freezing to death, with the exception of the kid who got run over by the, the trolley or, or the, the wagon. And they depict these kids as without families, without parents, and whose picayune earnings sustained whatever families they did have. But social science studies found, to the contrary, a significant number of these children were in families with two parents, or even if they only had one parent, the family was not depending on their uh, the pittance that they, they earned. None of these songs mentions the newspaper strikes that the newsboys did in big cities and small cities, and not in the cheerful way of the Disney Broadway musical newsies, <laughs> uh, which uh, I was going to pull a slide of it, and they were all happy and clear cut and dancing and all that, but I, I didn't put it in the presentation. And we only found one song where lyric referred to this essential role 
that the Newsies played in the newspaper industry's economic model. In Only a Newsboy, the lyricist describes Newsies as the smallest links of commerce. We saw no cover drawings that clearly depicted children of color, although African-American children, mostly boys, were among the ranks of the Newsies. One study in Cleveland tallied 90, 60 black families and 676 white families, so a little under 10% African-American children. And another researcher found that blacks accounted for 12% of the newsboys in Baltimore, most of them whose families had come up north in the great migration from the south. Horatio Alger, we talked about his rising from the, uh, the rags, and we found one song that paralleled that kind of rosy experience. In We All Grow Old in Time, a little ragged newsboy protects an elderly man who is lost in being taunted by neighborhood boys. The newsboy, not surprisingly, has no mother now, sir, in this world, and tells the elderly man, I'm all alone. The man turns out to be immensely wealthy and also has no family, by coincidence, and is so appreciative that he invites the little urchin to come and live with me. We might worry about some of those <laughs> other things now, but in any case, referring to this Horatio Alger stereotype, Nicholas Kristof, the New York Times columnist, recently wrote that it reflects a thread in the American psyche that wants to believe that ragged dick type pluck and luck offer the solution to social problems. As Kristof's column put it, America is the lie of individual responsibility. Those professing that notion ignored the often exploitive nature of the work that kept many of these children from school, despite compulsory education laws, and reviled them as immigrants, street Arabs, or gutter snipes. These omissions and misrepresentations are not surprising. It's understandable that music publishers didn't expect their customers to gather around the piano and sing about children with mangled limbs, politically powerful newspaper profiteers, or rebellious boys and girls on the picket line. Similarly, it's not surprising that newsies on the covers of sheet music appeared to be white, as were the vast majority of street music purchasers, even if the children on the covers were more shabbily dressed and bedraggled than the purchaser's own children. Treatment was so harsh, the old man's eyes soon filled with tears. And then there came a newsboy who chanced to pass along, sized up the situation, then elbowed through the throng. Don't mind all of them, mister, the little fellow said. Then as he spoke these words, each guilty boy there hung his head. Guilty.
thank you for those kind words that the old man to him said. You have a dear good mother, but the newsboy shook his head. I have no mother now, sir, in this world I'm all alone. But come if you allow me, I will see you safely home. They walked along in silence till the old man said, my son, I am immensely wealthy, but relations I have none. Now if you'll come and live with me, your kindness I'll repay. My heart went out to you the moment that I heard you say. Your parents taught you to respect old age the same as mine. Because we Stop the wagons, are we ready? Yeah! What's it gonna take to stop the scabbers? Can we do it? Yeah! We'll do what we gotta do until we break the will of mighty Bill and Joe. And the world will know, and the journal too. And that's it for this week's edition of Labor History Today. You can subscribe to LHT on your favorite podcast app. Even better, if you like what you hear, and we sure hope you do, like it in your podcast app, pass it along, and leave a review. That really helps folks to find the show. Labor History in Two is a partnership between the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show, a labor-themed radio show out of Pennsylvania. Very special thanks this week to John Beck, who has been organizing Michigan State University's Our Daily Work, Our Daily Live Brown Bag series for many years now. We've got a link to the complete presentation of Please Buy My Last Paper, I Want to Go Home. Recordings are provided by the G. Robert Vincent Voice Library in collaboration with Our Daily Work, Our Daily Lives, a partnership between the Michigan State University Traditional Arts Program and the Labor Education Program of MSU's School of Human Resources and Labor Relations. Our music today included The World Will Know from the original Broadway cast recording of Newsies, Rags by Henry Burr, Bing Crosby's version of Just a Kid Named Joe, Jimmy Brown the Newsboy by the Carter Family, I'd Rather Be a Newsboy in the USA Than a Ruler in a Foreign Land by the Good Time Watchboard 3, and We All Grow Old in Time by the Elysian Select Jazz Choir. Labor History Today is produced by the Labor Heritage Foundation and the Kalmanovitz Initiative for Labor and the Working Poor at Georgetown University. You can keep up with all the latest labor arts news. Subscribe to the Labor Heritage Foundation's free weekly newsletter at laborheritage.org. The Labor History Today team includes Ben Blake, Patrick Dixon, Leon Fink, Sherry Lincoln, Joe McCartan, Evan Papp, Jessica Pozak, and Alan Weirdak. For Labor History Today, this has been Chris Garlock. Thanks for listening. Keep making history. And see you next time. The
Scout.